Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Hallelujah. Isn't God good this morning? Amen. You can be seated this morning. Praise God. He is so good to us. We want to, first of all, welcome everybody that's here today. We're glad for you. Welcome everybody that's here in the sanctuary and everybody that's online. We're glad for you. We also want to release right now all the teenagers. If you're here, you're high school or junior high age. Alex is in the back. He's waving his hand. You could go back with them. Amen. And they will uh, have a service for you. Amen. A couple of announcements that we want you to know about. First of all, uh, uh, Charles C. Ramey uh, went to be with the Lord uh, a few weeks ago, and we are going to be having a memorial service for her on February 6th um, at 11 a.m. here in the sanctuary. So if you'd like to come and be a part of that, uh, we'll be here, um, and we welcome you, and, and we uh, are glad that you would come to that and be part of that. Also, we want to remind everyone, to, I know Andy's already announced it, but if you have not yet signed up for the Speaker's World, it is a tremendous class, and I believe it will help you. So you can see Dermon after the service. Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me over to the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew today, chapter 6. I just want to say something before we get into our, our message today about worship. One of the things that we have to learn to do <clears throat> is to give some time. Can you say amen? You know, God wants to move. And let me tell you something. I know that God moves through preaching and all of that, and I know preaching's a good thing. But sometimes we get focused on the things that we do rather than being focused on what He does. And you know what? We really, really, really need to focus on what He does. Can you say amen? And He can do more in a time of worship even in our silence, than we can ever do uh, working as hard as we can. And so in that moment when we're lifting our hands and our minds are trained to Him and allowing Him to move and allowing Him to touch, uh, He can change things and He can move things and He can prepare and He can build up and He can tear down whatever He needs to do and He can work things out. So one of the things that we want to do is take that time to be able to worship and to allow God's Spirit to move in our lives. Can you say amen? Well, this morning we're going to continue on with our uh, sermon series, Seeking First the Kingdom of God. And, and I really do pray uh, this morning that you are catching the importance of this. This is not something this morning that we can afford to ignore. Amen. And I, I just want to say, you know, from my heart, this is something that, that the Lord is really, really, really impressing on me because there's more to this than, than just being a theological study about God or His kingdom. Uh, the reality is, is that Jesus spoke these words to his disciples in his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he said, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all these things shall be added unto you. And the interesting thing that we, that we understand in this is that this is not about the things so much as it is about what God is doing. Don't reduce this scripture down to the things that he talks about. The reality is it encompasses everything because it talks about all. He says, he, says I, he, he tells us, seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things. And so everything, whether it's spiritual, physical, mental, emotional, relational, whatever it is, God begins to pour himself out and he begins to provide. It is the heart of God this morning to provide. Can you say amen? The Bible says that in Philippians 4.19, it tells us that my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we know the heart of God is to meet our every need. Can you say amen? So there has to be, in my mind, there has to be much more to this idea of seeking the kingdom than just getting our needs met. Amen? No doubt that that's a part of it and it's a big part of it, but there is something that is beyond that. There is something that we need in that that we need to understand that that, that is 
is more important and we need to get a hold of it. Now, last week I asked you a question and I asked you, why is the kingdom of God uh, so important to us? Why are we studying this? Why are we taking the time to look at this? Because for, for a lot of people, I think that we kind of get it. It's a, it's a no-brainer thing. We, we get the fact that the kingdom of God is important, but I think sometimes we don't really understand the depth of it. We don't understand how incredibly important it is. It would be like for me to say to you, you know, if I looked at you and I said, air is important, it's pretty important. Can you say amen? I, I, you know, for the average person, you'll go about a minute without air and you're in trouble. I know there's the exception to every rule and there's people, oh, I can hold my breath for five minutes. Good. But I guarantee you after about five minutes, you're struggling. You know, all of a sudden air becomes extremely important. And let me say this to you, the kingdom of God is extremely important important. And seeking the kingdom is what God wants us to do. I have people all the time, they come to me and they say, Pastor, what do you think God wants me to do? Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. I want you to seek the kingdom. And, and you know, we, we put it in terms of, God, what do you want me to do in the sense, what is my activity in the church? And sometimes we confuse the activity of the church as being something in the kingdom. And not always is activity in the church kingdom. Let me, let me just say that, okay? There's, it's not that it's wrong. It's not that it's bad. But the reality is, is kingdom is bigger than that. There's, there's something more to that. And there's something more fundamental than that that goes deeper into us and into who we are as people. Can you say amen? Throughout history, people did unbelievable, unthinkable, and impossible things because they were people of the kingdom, and they knew why it was so important, and they chose to live their lives in such a way as that reflected the kingdom of God. And what we said last week is we said there were five major reasons why the kingdom of God is so important. And the first one is ultimately the plan and purpose of God for mankind is a kingdom assignment. God has us on a kingdom assignment. Can you say amen? We are to advance and establish His kingdom in His will on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that for a moment. We are to advance and establish His kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We are created to be the sons and daughters of the Most High, partnering with Him. This is why the kingdom, listen, this is why the kingdom is so important, and it's so important that we understand this. There is a verse of Scripture that tells us that we are joint heirs with Christ. Are you familiar with that portion of Scripture? It tells us that we've been adopted into the family of Christ, that we are sons and daughters. No longer do we, are we orphans, but we are children of God. Can you say amen? And if, then if heirs were joint heirs. Now, the reason that is important, it's because it's not about the fact that you and I get things. It's that, you know, we look at that in terms of we get things, but listen, it's bigger, it's more important. In legal parlance, if you look at it legally, a joint heir is somebody that is equal to concerning what's their joint heir in. Okay, when you're a joint heir, that means the other party cannot do anything without you. So let me, let me see if I can simplify it. If you, were, if you were so fortunate as to have, you know, the great, great, long lost uncle that was rich leave you in his will, and then they left you and a friend or you and your brother or sister or whatever in the will, and a lawyer came to you and said, hey, look at your long lost uncle died, but he left you his estate, and you're worth millions of dollars now, but he left it, and you are a joint heir. That means everything you do with the estate has to be done with the permission and the cooperation of the other heir. 
you are a joint heir with Christ, ruling and reigning with him now. You are now. Now, this is not something that's happening down the road. You are ruling and reigning with him now. You are a joint heir now. That means God's not going to move unless you're moving with him. See, this blows my mind because sometimes we are so afraid. We, we're so afraid to get ourselves above God. Look, at God ain't going to let that happen. Okay, first of all, the last time somebody tried to get above him, he fell from heaven like lightning. So don't worry about that. The, the reality is today is that what he wants is he wants his children. There is nothing in all of creation that God ever said could be a joint heir with me. In other words, God chose to create us. He chose to put us together as a body so that we, in fact, could be his body, but ultimately that we could be his bride, ruling and reigning from heaven with him. Can you say amen? So that means all the power and the authority that's been invested into him, he has invested into us. That means that whatever is going to be accomplished on the planet is going to be accomplished in conjunction with us. In other words, his moving is with us moving. If we don't move, he don't move. Are you hearing what I'm saying? If we don't pray, if we don't pray, he doesn't answer. The reality is people and lives and situations are changed because you and I take our position in the kingdom. Are you hearing me? And that we begin to move and we begin to walk in the authority and the power of the kingdom. The reason that people don't walk and move in the authority and the power of the kingdom is because they are ignorant of the power and the authority of the kingdom. He has given us such powerful things, such wonderful weapons of warfare, such powerful tools, such ability. And the problem is, is we have come into a place where we are in an instant generation and we like instant things happening. We, 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 we like things responding right now, right now, right now, right now. And if they don't happen right now, then we tend to give up on it. We tend to walk away from it. Look at church, I, 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 there, there, I've had to make some decisions in my life about what I'm going to do. And that means no matter what comes my way, I'm pushing through it. I'm getting here. If, if I'm getting whatever I got to get, I'm going to do it. I don't care. I don't care if I'm sick. I don't care if I'm tired. I don't care if my attitude is horrible. I don't care what it is. I'm pushing through it. That's temporary. That's eternal. And I'm going for the eternal. I am not going to let the devil sidetrack me. The devil is not my authority. He is not the one calling the shots. And I am not going to let him determine through circumstance or any other thing what I'm going to do for the kingdom of God. Can you say amen? I'm not going to back off. Amen. Why? Because I don't have to. I'm a joint heir of the king. I, I live. He said in his word, fear not little flock, I want to give you the kingdom. When somebody is given a kingdom, what does that make them? It makes them a king. We are a people. We are a nation. We are a body. We are a group of kings and priests before him. Can you say amen? That means something. This is not just theology. This is not quaint uh, uh, conversation or wording so that you feel better about yourself. This is the reality of who we are in the eyes of God. This is how God sees us. We have to start seeing ourselves through the eyes of God. Can you say amen? And so one of the things that we saw is we saw that the, 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 the reason the kingdom is so important is because we have a kingdom assignment. The original purpose of God, this is the second reason, was to extend his rulership from heaven to earth through us. We are his agents. We are his ambassadors. We are his people on the planet representing him. He went so far as to say to the disciples, whatever sins you remit, they are remitted. Whatever sins you retain, they are retained. Think of the power of what God put into our hands because of the kingdom. Are you hearing me? That's pretty powerful, folks. The third reason it was the it, the third reason the kingdom is so important is because it was the gospel message. 
Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom everywhere he went. And finally, the fourth reason is because it was the message of the early church. So what is the fifth reason the kingdom is so important? Well, the reason the kingdom is so important is because of its culture. Listen to me. Because of the culture of the kingdom. Of all the reasons why the kingdom is so important, this reason stands head and shoulders above them all. And I want to read uh, our, our text to you. This is a very familiar portion of Scripture. It is a portion of Scripture that we often quote. It is a portion of Scripture I'm sure that throughout your Christianity you have heard over and over again. But it's something that we need to hear again and understand. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, this is what the Bible says, Jesus speaking. He says, In this manner, therefore, pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I want you to think about this because the disciples have come. They've looked at Jesus, and they've, they're curious. They want to know. You know, one of the, 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 one of the uh, uh, modern-day statements is, what does that look like? What does is, what is this look like? So when Jesus is telling them, hey, you guys ought to be praying. You should pray without ceasing and all those things. They're being stirred, but they don't really know what that looks like. They know the old way. They know the old model of prayer, but they're not really sure what Jesus is talking about. So they come to him and they said, teach us to pray. Show us, show us what you do, Jesus. Tell us how you get the job done. And Jesus says, I want you to pray in this manner. He says, the first thing you do is you recognize recognize that God is your Father in heaven. The first thing you do is out of the gate, you realize that this one that you're talking to, the one you're communicating with, the one that you need uh, uh, to move in your life, he is your heavenly Father. He says, our Father who art in heaven. And then he says, hallowed be your name. In other words, you acknowledge and you worship and you lift him up. You lift this Father up by worshiping his name because his name declares his character and his nature and his intention towards your life. Okay? And so what he says is he says, I want you to worship the Father. I want you to acknowledge him, and I want you to lift him up by his name. And then I want you to pray. You begin your prayer, your kingdom come, which is really a declaration of faith. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Are you hearing that? When we pray this prayer, this prayer is not just about eternity. This prayer is about right now. It's about here and now. Listen, it is God's intention this morning to right now, at this moment, influence our lives and the world we live in. Now, I want to I expound just a moment on this idea of the world we live in. If we're not careful, we can overgeneralize this idea of the world. We can, we can begin to look at it and go, yeah, you know, God needs to move in the world, and we can think really big, and we lose the, we lose the, the, the importance or the significance. Because, see, it's kind of like when people talk about the national debt. Think about it for a moment. When somebody, when a newscaster or whatever gets up there and go, yeah, the national debt's $26.5 trillion. You and I can't relate to that. It's just another name, another number. We don't, we don't, we don't even get what that means. Now, if somebody comes to me and they say, you know what, buddy, you owe us $1,000. You got my attention. You say, what, $1,000 is a lot of money to me. You know, I don't have a thousand dollars. I don't have an extra thousand running around. And so that grips me. So when I say that God wants to work through you, that God wants to right now influence our lives and ultimately our world, I'm talking about the world in which you live. I'm talking about your family. I'm talking about your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers. I'm talking about the sphere of your influence. And He wants to influence that sphere of influence with a manifestation of his presence in such a way that it mirrors life in heaven. I want you to listen to that. That's what that prayer is. 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, God's will is done in heaven. Amen. Everything God tells us in his word, as far as heaven's concerned, it's done. And he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So what he wants is he wants this life to mirror that life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not in some future uh, a time in the, in, the, uh, in the future by and by. What he wants is he wants the kingdom at work right now. And so I know this is controversial, and I know that sometimes we question this. But listen, there's no sickness in heaven right now. God's not working out sickness up in heaven. He's not, God's not trying to figure out that. God's not trying to figure out poverty in heaven. God's not trying to figure out, um, um, you know, arguments and violence and disagreements and, and all of these things. That is all worked out in heaven. Can you say amen? And so he says, what you should pray as my agent, as my child, our father means you're his child. Amen. You're a child of the king. He says, your kingdom come. So what he needs is he needs for you to pray. Our kingdom come. Why? Because God does nothing except an answer to prayer. Why? Because we are joint heirs with Christ. Are you seeing that? So all of a sudden we begin to see that I am much more than a pew filler in a church somewhere, but I am a child of the king with the kingdom of God invested in me with all the rights and privileges of that kingdom. And all the authority and the power given to Jesus is mine because I'm a joint heir with him. Are you seeing that? And so he says, pray this, our kingdom come. Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he does this through the advancement of kingdom culture. Are you hearing me? Now don't let the word culture confuse you. It's, I know it's kind of a fancy word. I, I, I wrestled with it myself for a while. It's kind of what really is culture and what does that mean? And let me just boil it down to you. When we talk about culture, what we're talking about is simply this. It's the way of life. It's our way of life. C- culture is the way you do life. It's your value system. It's how you react. It's how you respond to life. Literally, it's the preset values that you carry in your heart that determine how you live life. So kingdom culture, when we talk about kingdom culture, it's how heaven functions. It's how heaven does life. Amen, are you hearing what I'm saying? So I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the culture of heaven in context of where we're going. In Colossians chapter one, verses 13 and 14, it says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of the, uh, of the son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So look at, he ha- we, were in the, we were in the kingdom of darkness, but we have been delivered, transferred, translated into the kingdom of light. There is no other options. There is no other kingdom. Either you're in the kingdom of darkness or you're in the kingdom of light. Can you say Amen. So you are either operating by that culture or you are operating by this culture. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He goes on and he tells us that when a person is born again, we are delivered from that darkness. We come into this new kingdom and it means that as followers of Jesus Christ, we are now citizens of heaven. Philippians chapter 2 verse 20 says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for the return of our Savior. Now, we might live this morning in the United States. That's where we live. But we, if we are believers today, then we are citizens of the same realm as the kingdom of heaven. We live our spiritual lives in the kingdom, and God wants our spiritual life to become our physical life. He wants our physical life to mirror our spiritual life. Are you hearing what I'm saying? This means something important. 
It means that our loyalty belongs to the kingdom of God and its culture and its values more than anything else. The problem is, is that as Christians, without realizing it, we tend to identify more with worldly or secular values and culture than the culture and the values of the kingdom. And the problem is complicated because eventually we try to Christianize these worldly values by justifying them through the Bible. Are you hearing what I'm saying? More and more and more, the church is looking like the world. More and more, it's harder, it's harder and harder to distinguish Christians from anyone else. The Bible says that we are salt and we are light. I've told you this before. Salt and light are not, they are, they are the, it's not hard to distinguish distinguish between them. In other words, you never, you, 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 there might be other spices when you eat it, you go, not sure, what, what is that? Is that turmeric or, you know, is that rosemary or is, is that thyme? You know, you, you may not know what that is, but I guarantee you, if you have something that's too salty, you don't go, mm, I wonder what that is. You go, man, these pretzels are salty. These chips are, or if, if you're eating and somebody put too much salt, you go, you know, this is a great meal, but you put too much salt in. It's, it's unmistakable. You never, you know, we, we got all these lights up here. I never go, what is that? Wow, what, what, what's, it's like, wow, it's bright on this stage. There's a lot of light up here. It's unmistakable, and that's what we're called to be, is we're called to be unmistakable. We're called to stand out. And the problem is, is most Christians, we don't, that's what we don't like the most. I don't want to stand out, because you, when you stand out, people call you on your standing out. They go, well, look at you. That's right, look at me. I'm a child of the king. Amen. Amen. If we are going to have impact in the world around us in our sphere of influence, then we are going to have to embrace and live out the culture of the kingdom in this world. Can you say amen? amen. And to understand the, the kingdom culture, to understand the culture of the kingdom and its values, we have to understand that that culture comes from the nature of God. It comes from his values and his character. Listen to this. I find this remarkable in Exodus thirty-three nineteen. God told Moses, he says, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. The word name here in the Hebrew, it doesn't just speak of someone's um, uh, identification in the sense of you, we can distinguish one from another in, in that that's his name. It actually speaks of the character of the person. And the Lord in this scripture identifies his character or his name with his goodness. Are you hearing that? This is important to understand. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, the Bible says, And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and bounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children of children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. When God declared his name and goodness to Moses, he said, this is my character. I am by nature good. I am by nature loving, merciful, gracious, kind, patient, and forgiving. This means that the culture of the kingdom is good, merciful, gracious, kind, patient, and forgiving. 
Now, some may say, and they may look at me, and they say, well, wait a second, Pastor. What about those verses that speak about visiting the sins of the Father on the children of the third and fourth generation? Well, no doubt, sin has consequences. We know that. But what this is showing us is if a person who is caught up in sin asks for forgiveness, then God's nature is to forgive and to release them from that punishment. Can you say amen? In fact, God said in Hosea 6.6, he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then he says in James 2.13, mercy triumphs over judgment. What is he describing? He is describing for you and I the nature and the culture of the kingdom. We, we, we are a part, church, of a kingdom of love. That's what we're a part of. We're a part of a kingdom of love. And the problem is, is walking in that kingdom, walking in that culture sometimes is difficult. And I won't say for any stretch of the imagination that I've got this down. But I find in me this compelling thing that's pushing me more and more and more to it. Now, I, I, I'll be honest, I, you know, I even this morning was confronted with my own lack in this area. How many know, I've told you, I, I've told you all this before, I'm not a morning person, right? I hate getting up. I, I, partly because I don't really sleep well most of the time, and it's usually late when I finally get to sleep, and so when I'm finally sleeping, I don't want to get up. I, I, I'm, leave me alone. Well, this morning, you know, once again, I get up, it's, you know, quarter to seven, and, you know, I get up, and Kathy always is, she's bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and she's just jumping around, good morning. <laughs> My response is, huh? Mm. You know, I kind of grump at her, you know, and well, then I go take my shower, and I get out of the shower, and she's doing her hair and all of this, and she, she goes, look at me. Look at my hair. And I mean, I'm done, man. I'm, I'm cooked. I, I looked at her, and I went, you're going to have to wait till 9 o'clock. I, I, I can't comment. I'm not responsible for anything I comment on right now. I, I, I'm tired. I, I don't want to be up. I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to church. <laughs> I, is that too honest? I, I, they don't like me down there. Well, you're the pastor. Anyway, it's an old joke. <clears throat> and so I'm, I'm struggling, and I get here. I get here, and I'm having my cup of coffee, and then Pastor Alex walks in, and, you know, he's talking to me about some stuff, and, you know, it requires me to be patient and compassionate and loving and... Uh, I'm, you know, and I'm sitting there, and I'm not responding well, and he could tell. We've been, we've worked together long enough that we can kind of read each other a little bit, and I'm just, I, uh, and you know, before he rolled his eyes, I, 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 I went, okay, I got to pray, I got to pray. I need, I even looked at Andy, I, after Alex left, I looked at Andy, I, man, I got to get a hold of this, man, I, I got to pray, because I'm recognizing, because what's happening is, on the inside, I'm pursuing, see, because I've come to understand that seeking first the kingdom is also about understanding the kingdom, it's seeking the knowledge and the understanding, what is the kingdom really all about, how does God want me to live? How does he want me to live? And what I'm finding is that in my pursuit of the kingdom, that God is beginning to convict and he's, and, and, and he's beginning to pull off things. He's like, that don't glorify me. Get rid of that. that, that but that's my favorite thing. I want that back, you know. And, and, and he's pulling stuff off. You know, and, and, and to be honest, the problem is, is that for, for, for me, you know, I, I struggle with the time frame of how this works out. You, you know, I, I like things instant. I don't know about you. I just wish, why do we got to go through all of these calisthenics, God? Why, why is it that I'm constantly being put into situations where I get the privilege, privilege of exercising kingdom culture? You know what I'm talking about? You know, if, if you want to love, then God says, oh, I'm going to give you somebody really lovely to love. 
And I, we, we don't like it. I, I don't like See, and there's things in the Bible that bug me. I, it's a, this time thing about God working stuff out. I, I don't know about you, but there's some scriptures that really, really, here, the one that probably bugs me the most, and, and there's a second, close one that's second, is, you know, when Jesus was a baby, the angel came to, to Joseph and said, hey, look, at, there's a king that wants to kill Jesus. You guys need to get out of here. You need to go to Egypt. And so they go to Egypt, and Jesus is there, they think, for about two years or whatever it is, and, and <clears throat> the king dies, and the angel comes back in a dream and says, okay, all, coast is clear, come on back, come on home. And they're on their way home, and they set up camp, and, God, and the angel comes back and goes, oh, oh, the king's son rose up, and he wants to kill Jesus too, so you guys got to go over here. And I'm, that, see, that bugs me. And the reason that bugs me is because, after all, God, you know everything. You knew before that this guy and his son had it out for Jesus. So well, why are we doing the rigmarole? God, why, why do we got to go through the calisthenics here? How about God just take the king out? How about kill him before he has his son? God, you could do that. Knock him off. Bang, put a bullet in his head, and he's done. It's over. It's over. We don't got to worry about it anymore. But see, there was something being done. There's a process in the kingdom. The other story that I don't like is Joseph. Joseph has a dream. He has a, actually a couple dreams. And he goes to his brothers. He doesn't have the wisdom yet to know that you don't share dreams about your brothers bowing down to you, to your brothers. You don't, you don't do that. But he goes, he's excited, and who wouldn't be? God gives me a dream. I see all of you bowing down to me. And then I come next Sunday and go, guess what? There's in your future. You're going to bow down. You're not as happy as I am. So, so these guys, they come up with a plan. They're like, you know what? We ain't bowing down to you. In fact, we're going to beat you up for telling us the dream. And we're throwing you into this well. And you can think it out there. Hey, how's that for bowing down? Well, then the older brother, the oldest one, he's feeling really guilty, and he says, we can't kill him. We got, we, let's make some money. Let's sell him into slavery. And so this, this uh, uh, camel train's coming through. These traders are coming through, and, and they sell him off into slavery. He ends up in Egypt at Potiphar's house, and Potiphar's wife makes the moves on him, accuses him, and he's righteous, and he runs, but then they throw him in prison, and in prison, the, the, he rises up, but the people that are supposed to help him don't, and he spends 14 years in prison for something he did not do, and then one day, miraculously, he interprets a dream for Pharaoh and ends up the prime minister. Now, my thinking is, because every, you know, every pastor gets up and tells us, well, you know, he, that's where his training was. Why? I, I, you know, the, there's, a scripture, uh, there's a scripture that talks about a guy, forget his name now, but it was when they were building the tabernacle, and the Bible says that he put all manner of wisdom in him, downloaded into him the ability to be a craftsman in all of these different, you know, in, in, in sculpting and all this stuff. And it was like he just got it. It's like God went there. Why couldn't you do that with Joseph? Why? why just, there, you're the prime minister. That seems a lot more logical to me. That, that, but see, the kingdom don't work that way, does it? Because it's not about my will. It's not about my plan. You know, I was, I was praying the other day, and I, I, it, it hit me. I was in here, and I was praying. And I was praying. I often pray this prayer. I, I pray, God, help us not to be consumers, but help us to be producers. Amen. Amen. And I pray. I say, you know, because so much of our culture now in America, the Western mindset, is it's all about what I can get. Long, long ago, the days were, don't you know, ask what your country can do for you, but ask what you could do for your country, you know, JFK said that. And, you know, and, and now it's, it's like because of one-stop shopping, because we're so used to, you know, having everything done for us. You know, it's like, well, I go to church because that's what meets my need. What if God wants you to go to church to meet somebody else's need? 
We don't, we, <laughs> do you notice the clapping? Yeah, yeah I, I, think, I think that's good. That's, that's really good preaching there, preacher. Yeah. Now, let, watch this. You're here because God wants to bless you. Yay. See? See? Yeah. yeah, yeah. See, and that's the thing. We, you know, the, the, the culture, and so I was praying. I was, I was praying, God, help us not to be, you know, uh, uh, consumers. Help us to be producers. Help us to see the need and respond. Help us, help us to get involved, God. And, and it dawns on me, it dawns on me that there is even a place in our production that if our motive is not correct, meaning that I am doing what I'm doing in meeting other people's needs because the trade-off is it makes me feel good, I'm still a consumer. <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord. He says, what I want you to do, John, is I want you to walk in my way simply because you love me. Why do I do what I do? Because I love him. I love my Lord. And he said, walk this way. Okay. I love you, Lord. I praise you. I glorify you. I want you. I covet. I seek the kingdom and its culture. I want to love like you love, Jesus. I want to be merciful like you're merciful. You know, in heaven, do you know in heaven... It's a place of honor. And in heaven, they honor people for who they are, not for who they're not. Church, we need to learn how to honor. We're all valid. We all got flaws. We all got difficulties in our tendency because we've been trained this way, because our culture of the worldly culture and this is how the church justifies. See, we, the church says, oh, no, we need to make a stand for Jesus, and we need to stand for righteousness, you sinners. That ain't Bible. That's not the spirit of the Bible. There's no doubt that we need to stand for righteousness. There is no doubt that sin is, is wrong, and Jesus came to take care of that. But you know, God's, God doesn't hate the sinner. In fact, Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says that while God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. But yet the church wants to be about what they're against, and the church wants to talk about how much God wants to bring judgment, and the church wants to talk about how bad it's going to get. That's not what my Bible tells me. See, when I read the Bible through the lens of the kingdom, I see that we go out with a high hand. I see that we have victory. I see that love makes the day. I see that grace and mercy are poor out in a way. I see that there are going to be people in heaven that we would have dismissed long ago because God sees differently. Church, we need to have the culture of the kingdom working in us. We need the culture of the kingdom that, that guides our life. See, oftentimes I think what happens is we get so wound up in what we're doing and what we want. We need the culture of the kingdom. We need to pursue that. Who is God? Well, first it says he's love. It says he's merciful. He's gracious. He's long-suffering. He's forgiving. And many, many, many more things. It's who he is. It's how his kingdom functions. And the prayer... Your kingdom come, your will be done, is a prayer that says, God, we want that culture here. Amen. You doing what you desire here, now. It's called kingdom culture. I'll tell you where the, I, I, if Jason wants to come, he can. I'll tell you where I'm at in this process. I'm, I, I'm not even close to having this down. This is, this is something that God's really working out in me. But where I'm at is I'm at the place where I'm willing to recognize when my culture is not his culture. In other words, I'm paying attention. God's got my attention sufficiently now 
to where I'm beginning to look. Because I find there's moments when, you know, like my attitude in the morning or my frustration with some sort of person or thing or event, God's going, that, that doesn't reflect me. That doesn't reflect me. And I have to stop myself. And I have to say, God, how would you handle it? You know, years ago in the 90s, there was a, a thing, a, a, it kind of became cliche-ish, and it was a real big media thing. that They had the bracelets and the cups and the signs, and what would Jesus do? And you know, just like anything, the church took it and took it to a place that lost all its significance. And, but the statement still holds today, what would Jesus do? How would he act? How would he react? What would he do? The, the hardest judgments and the most um, aggressive that Jesus got when he was on this planet was towards religion. The hypocrisy and the duplicity of religion. That's what, that, that, that's what, that's what Jesus absolutely was against. Sinners, Jesus welcomed them. He went to their house. He traveled with them. He talked with them. He forgave them. He delivered them. But those that wanted to rise up in their pride and ego where their culture was what they were doing, this is what I'm going to do for God. No, I'm going to do what you want me to do, God. And if that means just being quiet for a while, I'm going to be quiet. If that means speaking up, then I'll speak up. And if that means loving somebody that no one else will love, then I'll love. You know, I, I, I'll finish this. I didn't, I didn't say this in the 8.30, but I'll, I'll finish here today with this. The greatest lesson I learned in my entire ministry, in my entire walk with God, I learned from the lady that we just did her memorial yesterday, Shannon Boyd. Most of you, if you've been in this church any length of time, will have been aware, at least aware of Shannon. Some of you knew her really well. Shannon was not what normal people would say was normal. <laughs> in fact, in, in the beginning days of my introduction and relationship with her it was very difficult I didn't want Shannon in this church I was looking for a way to get her out he said why is that well because Shannon back in the day if you did, Shannon would stand up here in the front and during worship she, she'd be worshiping and she was rather demonstrative she was very very outgoing and I wanted I want demonstrative worship but Shannon took it to a level that was different. She would turn around and actually be a cheerleader. And she, come on, let's go, let's worship. I, that's my job. I'm, I'm the cheerleader. That's his job. And, and, you know, one day, one day it came, and she was just particularly difficult that day. She was heckling me because what's, what you say, what, what's heckling? She because I would ask like a rhetorical question and then she would answer it from the front row and she would talk to me while I'm preaching. Oh, pastor, that's so good, that's so, and she'd be going and going and it would throw me off. I mean, it would, it would I, I, I learned a lot. And, uh, and, and you know what? Nobody ever prepared me for Shannon. Well, that particular day, it got really, really difficult. It was hard. It was hard on me. And I, I just struggled. I struggled. So I was trying to catch up to her. I was going to talk to her. I was going to say, hey, look, you know, we got to stop this. And she was running. I'm running after her. And we probably looked like a bunch of kindergartners on a playground. Well, I couldn't catch up to her. So the next day I go to this conference, and to make a long story short, on the way to the conference, Jason calls me and says, hey, Shannon wrote a letter to the editor in the newspaper 
about how nobody's going to control or tell her how to worship God. And then lo and behold, I go into this conference and, and the guy that's speaking, he's talking about love, about loving people. And he's giving all these examples and I don't have the time to share them all with you, but they're, they're very good. And it's convicting me to the bone and finally I get into the parking lot because I left. I said, I'm done with this sermon. I'm out. I ain't sitting here through this. So I get in the parking lot and I knew God's got my number. And I said in the parking lot, I looked up in heaven and I said, I can't and I won't. And God said this. He just gently said in his great compassion, he said, love her, quit trying to change her. And you know, we came back and, and, and I simply just did what God told me to do. And I'm going to tell you, uh, something changed. It was nothing short of miraculous. Not only did she change, but I changed. And I actually think it changed our church. Because at that point in time is when people really begin to respond to her. They begin to look at her differently. And it wasn't just me loving her. Now it was a church loving her. And you know what? In her last, last years of her life, she had a church, she had a family uh, of people that just loved and adored her. And now she's in the presence of God, feeling that for real. And, and you know what? That's the greatest lesson. And that is what the kingdom is about. And church, that's why this thing, seeking the kingdom, is so important. It's because we need that culture. We need that. We need that in our lives. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we just thank you, God. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are here with us and that you are helping us. And I pray, Lord, that you just bless. Father, I pray that you would remind us, God, Lord, of our need for your kingdom and your culture, your nature. Father, that we would cultivate that. Lord, that we would be aware when we aren't functioning in that. But we would covet it. And Lord, we would draw it in. And Father, that you would work that through us. Lord, we pray your kingdom come and your will be done in our lives as it is in heaven. And Father, we give you the glory and we give you the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. He is so good to us, isn't he? So good. So good to us. I just want to encourage you. Make that your prayer. Seek first the kingdom. Let him fill you. Can you say amen? Why don't you stand to your feet all across this place. We're going to release you today. God bless you. You go. Have a great day. Enjoy your weekend, and we will see you next week. God bless. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.